This sermon was recorded at Highway Mountain View in Mountain View, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. We're really glad that you're here. Um, Merry Christmas to all of you uh, as we gather on this Sunday before. It's hard to believe with Thanksgiving happening so late that it is December 22nd already. I've been thinking all week it should be about December 12th, but it's not. And, uh, but we're glad that you're here celebrating with us today. This morning we're continuing our Advent teaching series entitled This Present Glory, uh, where in these weeks leading up to Christmas, we are looking together at some of the great passages in Scripture that describe the wonder of what we celebrate at this time of year. The wonder of God coming to earth in the form of a human being in the person of Jesus. And specifically, uh, we've been exploring from these texts the purpose of Jesus' coming. We started by looking at John chapter 1, where we saw that Jesus came to restore God's presence with his people. Last week, Lisa took us through Colossians chapter 1, where we saw that Jesus came to reconcile all things by, being, by bringing peace to the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of our world through his blood. And this morning, we're going to look together at another great text from the New Testament, that reveals for us another reason why Jesus came, and that is 1 John chapter 4. Take a look with me at 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now those verses, for me, uh, represent one of the real treasures in all of the scriptures because they comprise... This really wonderful treatise on God's love that is both on the one hand incredibly comprehensive and on the other hand incredibly concise. That God's love, John says, ultimately flows out of the very fabric of his character. Verse 8 very simply says that God is love. And so John proclaims that unconditional, everlasting love is the very core of who God is. Unconditional, everlasting love is central to his identity. God is love. And then verse 9 declares, this is how God showed his love among us. This is how God revealed his love. He sent his one and only son into the world. And so it is through the incarnation, through the sending of his son Jesus to earth, that God has shown us what his love is like. And so Jesus came to reveal the very nature of God's love. Jesus came to reveal the very nature of God's love. And embedded within John's explanation of all of that here 
we see three foundational characteristics of this love that Jesus came to reveal. Three foundational characteristics of God's love revealed in Jesus. And the first of those is that God's love is active. God's love is active. John makes it clear that God does not simply tell us that he loves us. He does something about it. Verse 9 says that he sent his son into the world. Just like we see all throughout the story of Scripture, in the sending of Jesus, we see God once again initiating. Right? His love is seen in doing something. It's seen in a verb. He sent his son. He sent his one and only son into the world. God's love is active. And something else that we see in these verses about the nature of God's love is that it is undeserved. God's love is undeserved. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John makes it very clear there that, that God's love is not predicated on us loving him and then somehow earning or deserving his love in return for or in exchange for that. Instead, love starts with God. Love is that God loved us first. And we don't bring anything to the Christmas party that God needs. And he doesn't need our chocolates. He doesn't need our peanut brittle. He doesn't need our frosted sugar cookies or our shortbread cookies with the jam in them. I'm hungry. <laughs> he doesn't need any of that. His love for us is unconditional. We don't do anything to earn it, nor do we do anything to deserve it. God's love, very simply, is a gift. His love is undeserved. And so God's love is active. God's love is undeserved. And then we also see in, here in 1 John chapter 4 that God's love is sacrificial as well. His love is sacrificial. And that sacrificial nature of God's love is seen in this text on a couple of different levels. First of all, there's the sacrifice that's very simply inherent in the sending of Jesus. Right? There is sacrifice inherent in God's sending of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, when we looked together at the prologue to John's gospel, we noted John's epic proclamation that Jesus was with God from the beginning, that he was with God during the creation, that, that he was there and that through him everything that has been made was made. He was with God in the beginning. And so Jesus made the sacrifice, first and foremost, to leave that throne in heaven and to leave his Father's presence in order to come to earth. And then, in addition to that, Jesus didn't just leave his throne. He also set aside his divine nature as well. And last week, we saw the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 declaring that Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. But that all of God's fullness, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. Right? And so all of God's power and his sovereignty and his holiness and his wisdom and his justice, all of the fullness of God's nature is in Jesus. 
And Jesus might set all of that aside to a certain extent in order to enter into humanity. And so there was tremendous sacrifice in Jesus' coming to earth. But we not only see sacrifice in Jesus' coming to earth, we also see sacrifice in God's mission for Jesus as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says that God sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, which was a fulfillment of the words of the prophet Isaiah about the coming Messiah. And Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus came to be that atoning sacrifice. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says that Jesus endured all of that. He made all of those sacrifices so that we might live through him. He made those sacrifices so that we might live through him. Now, one of John's favorite words uh, that we see over and over and over again throughout the course of his gospel is the word life. And in the specific word that John uses for life is an interesting one. It's the word zoe. And what's interesting about zoe is that zoe doesn't refer to life in a physical sense. It doesn't refer to life in the sense of our physical bodies. Instead, it returns, refers to a different kind of life. Right? Refers to the life that God has shared with us through Jesus. Right? Life that is not temporal like our physical bodies, but eternal. Right? Life that is not finite like physical life, but that is infinite. And the verb that John uses here in 1 John 4, 9, so that we might live through him, comes from that very same root of the word zoe. And so Jesus came so that through him we might live, live eternally, John means. Jesus came so that through him we might live infinitely. And so 1 John chapter 4 reveals that Jesus' journey to earth has everything to do with God showing his active, undeserved, and sacrificial love. Now, as John continues on here in chapter 4, we see that this love that God has shown us through Jesus does not just have implications for our lives in an eternal sense. It doesn't just have implications for our lives for eternity. There's also very much a present dimension to this love that God has shown us through Jesus as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Those verses really showcase the directness and the clarity that are characteristic of the way that John writes this letter. Right? His words there are refreshingly simple, are they not? 
That since God so loved us, he says, we are called to show his love to one another. Since God has loved us, we are also called to love one another. And, of course, we need to look no further to see how to do that than the life of Jesus himself. And one of the most prominent places, I think, that Jesus shows us this, that he shows us how to love one another with God's active, undeserved, and sacrificial love is during his final meal with his disciples in John chapter 13. Now, John chapter 13 represents the major transition in the Gospel of John. And it's a transition from public to private. At the first 12 chapters of John's Gospel chronicle Jesus' public ministry right? and the signs and the wonders that Jesus did to both validate and, and be evidence of his identity as God. But in chapter 13, we move out of that public realm, out of the streets, if you will, uh, and into a private room. John chapter 13, verse 1, says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, something that Jesus was very conscious of in John's gospel, throughout John's gospel, is time. He's very conscious about the hour, very conscious about the timing of his mission. And here at the beginning of John chapter 13, we see that Jesus knew now that the time had come for his return journey back up to the Father. In John chapter 1, we talked about Jesus' epic journey from the Father's presence all the way down to be dwelling among us, pitching a tent among us. And now here in John chapter 13, Jesus recognizes that it's time to leave this place. His time here is done and the time to journey back up to the heavens. And it's interesting, I think, as this transition begins to take place, how John characterizes the nature of Jesus' time on earth. Look at the end of verse 1. It says, John writes, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, John summarizes this public portion of Jesus' ministry, which is now coming to a close as he pivots to returning to his father. He characterizes and summarizes all of that as a time of love. This was a time of love. And now, here in the upper room, Jesus is going to love his disciples to the end. Now, in the upper room, as the old 1984 NIV translation put it, he's going to show his disciples the full extent of his love. This is how God has shown his love for us. Now, Jesus is going to show his disciples the full extent of his love. John says that as the evening meal was in progress, Jesus got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the fact that Jesus is doing all of this during the meal, the fact that he's doing all this while the meal was happening, is a clear signal that this is not the customary foot washing that was performed by servants for guests when they entered into a room. 
Right? The disciples were already in the room. They were already at the table. They were already enjoying dinner. And now Jesus is doing this. And that, of course, heightens the significance of what Jesus is doing here. And as Jesus gets up and takes off his outer robe and wraps a towel around his waist and begins to wash his disciples' feet, we see that active nature of God's love embodied. That Jesus is initiating here. He's showing us what active love looks like. But then as Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, we read in John chapter 13, verse 6, that he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so Peter is, is clearly uncomfortable with everything that's going on here. He's clearly uncomfortable with this idea of Jesus washing his feet. Right? And understandably so. Right? It wasn't right on a number of different levels for a rabbi to be washing the feet of one of his students. It wasn't right for, for Peter's Lord and his master to wash his feet. Right? Jesus was very much showing love to Peter here in a way that he didn't deserve, right? in terms of social norms and cultural norms and order and convention. Right? And all of that was, was creating, creating tension for Peter. Peter didn't deserve, feel deserving of what Jesus was doing for him. And of course, as we see Jesus pointing out very directly, Peter didn't realize at that time all that Jesus was doing. And he didn't realize that this radical act of undeserved love that was seen in Jesus washing his feet was actually a foreshadowing of another radical act of undeserving love that was coming just around the corner. And that's the love that Jesus would show by sacrificing his life on the cross. And so what Jesus is doing here is very much a picture of the undeserved and sacrificial nature of God's love as much as it is a picture of the active nature of God's love. And so through this act of watching the disciples' feet, Jesus very profoundly shows us, I think, what it looks like to love one another with the very same love that God has shown to us. Now, we noted the fact that Jesus was doing all of this during the meal, which was anything but customary. And so this was not something that the disciples would have been expecting at all. And because of that, Jesus, when he finishes washing their feet, takes great care to explain to them the significance of what he was doing. He says in John chapter 13, verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them.
And so we see Jesus there establishing a new ethic. We see him establishing a new value for his disciples. And the instructions that Jesus gives them here highlight again how the nature of God's love should inform the way that we love one another in practice. You know, we notice there in verse 14 that Jesus does not say, now that I have washed your feet, you should wash my feet. Like he doesn't say that. He says, now that I have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. And so Jesus reveals for us there that our motive for loving others is not for us to receive love in return. Now, this is not like the gift exchanges that we often participate in at this time of year, and like the white elephant gift exchange at our staff Christmas party on Monday night, where you bring a gift in order to be in the gift exchange and take a gift home. This is not like that. Instead, we love others in order to reflect the same undeserved and sacrificial love that we have received from God to them with no expectations of reciprocity. And then, as he finishes, Jesus underscores once again that loving others with God's love is ultimately seen in action. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed not because you know them, not because you think that they're important, not because you think that they are good, you will be blessed if you do them. And so blessing comes not just from knowing our responsibility to reflect God's love to others. It comes from doing it. When his commentary on John's gospel, Frederick Buhner writes this. He says, from heaven to earth in space, from eternity to weekend in time, from deity to humanity in genre, from cosmic sovereignty to common towel in ministry, Jesus' foot washing is a symbol of the deep descent of God to human beings, even to the feet of them, to serve. And Jesus came fundamentally to show us God's love so that we can love others with that same love. He came to show us God's love so that we can love others with the same love. And loving others at the most elemental level is how we participate in Jesus' mission. Right? It's how we continue to show the love that's at the very core of his coming. And Christmas never ceases to be a season that is pregnant with opportunity to live into that. And so this morning, inspired by the simplicity of 1 John chapter 4, the question for us is simple. Who might God be actively inviting you to love this Christmas season? Who might God be inviting you to actively love this Christmas? Whose feet might he be inviting you to wash? How might he be inviting you to show his love to another through kindness? How might he be inviting you to show his love to another 
through generosity. How might he be inviting you to show his love to another through forgiveness? How might he be inviting you to show his love to another through gentleness or through patience or through mercy? Who might God be inviting you to actively love this Christmas? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. May the presence of God be seen in us and may his love be made complete in us as we love one another. Nick and the band are going to come and we're going to close this morning with communion. And one of the most powerful aspects of this foot washing scene in John chapter 13 is when Jesus gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, and wraps a towel around his waist in its place. And it's such a powerful image because of everything that that disrobing symbolizes. Taking off his outer garment and putting on the towel is a picture of the incarnation, right, where Jesus, as we've noted this morning, effectively had taken off the divine in order to put on humanity. Jesus is taking off of his outer garment and putting on the towels is a picture of his entire ministry, right, where he set himself aside in order to show God's active love through service. And Jesus is taking off of his outer garment and putting on of his towel is also a picture of what would come on the cross, right, where Jesus would literally be disrobed as he would allow God's love for others to be shown in the most profound way through the laying down of his life. Around the room this morning, you'll find three different communion stations. Uh, there's one over here to my left, your right, one at the front of the stage to my right, your left, and then one also at the back of the room to your left as well. And the elements that are at those stations the bread, which represents Jesus' body, and the wine or the juice, which represents his blood. Those are symbols both of Jesus' incarnation, his humanity, as well as of the sacrifice that he made in order to show us the magnitude and the glory of God's love for us. And so as we sing this morning, you are invited at any time to make your way to one of those stations get the elements that are there, and then return to your seat. And when you return to your seat, you're welcome to partake of those elements whenever you are ready. Would you pray with me as we do this in remembrance of him? Father, we are humbled by and grateful for the magnitude of your love for us in all of its dimensions as it's seen in the coming of your son, Jesus. We are grateful, Father, for the way that you have poured out 
your love to us through him. And grateful, Father, to be a part of continuing that love that you have shown through our love for others. And Lord, as we bask in the glory of your love, I pray, Father, that you would open us up and make us sensitive to the movements of your spirit. And Father, that in the coming days of this season, as we move toward Christmas and as we celebrate, Father, that we would be open to the ways that you are showing us, the ways that you are inviting us to love others with the same love that you have shown us. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of that command. We ask for forgiveness for all the ways that we oftentimes opt out or are oblivious to it or are too distracted to step into it. Would you give us eyes to see others and courage to love actively? as you have loved us. We thank you for the way that you have shown us your love through Jesus' coming and through the sacrifice. And as we remember those things this morning at the table, that we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>